0: Today we'll be continuing in our Summer in the Psalms as we look at Psalm 9. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 9. Uh, if you don't, feel free to grab a pew Bible from in front of you. Today's reading is on page 531. Again, we are looking at Psalm 9. Please follow along as I read. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High God. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O God, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits Enthroned in Zion, tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them; he does not forget the, the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord, see my affliction from those who hate me. O you, lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit they made. In the net they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Please bow your heads, I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your salvation and the comfort that it brings. We thank you for being our stronghold that we can put our trust in. You are the sovereign king, O God, and in times where we feel doubt, remind us that you are the only one we should put our trust in. Lord, we thank you that you are just. And and from your word, we can rest knowing that you will right all wrongs and bring justice on the wicked. Lord, be with Pastor Bruce today. Give him clear speech as he shares your word with us. And give us boldness to share your mighty deeds among the people we meet. All this I pray in your son's holy name. Amen.
1: Well, as we continue in our summer series in the Psalms, I invite you, encourage you to keep your Bibles open to their in Psalms chapter 9, as we look at this psalm. And as we do, I want to begin with this question. Where do you go for justice? Where do you turn for justice in your life? Most people are are dependent on the government for justice. In fact, according to Romans chapter 14, providing equal justice for all people is actually the God-given responsibility of government. But as you know, many governments are corrupt. Many governments fail to provide equal justice for all people. So so where do you turn then when you cannot depend on the government to provide justice in the world? Well, if you have enough money, you can certainly hire the best lawyers. In fact, money oftentimes can influence prosecutors and judges. Money can often pay for justice through the court system. But, but as you know, because of the fallenness of humanity, if you have enough money, we often use that money to just the opposite effect. Many times we have seen over the course of history where people use money to, to seems like get away with a crime instead of actually finding justice. So what if you don't have the money? What do you do then? Well, that's when some people may turn to vigilante justice. In fact, you may have found yourself when when watching a movie where someone has been done wrong and and they can't find any justice. They can't get any justice because it seems like everyone in that small town has been bought off. And while you're watching that movie, and as the plot unfolds, you find yourself. There's something within you that is... Now, rooting for that person who now takes the law into their own hands and the bad guys get what they deserve. Why is that? Why do we find ourselves inwardly, even when we know vigilante justice is wrong, it's not right, but we find ourselves rooting for that person? It's because we long, all of us here, we long for justice. And that brings us here to Psalm chapter 9. Because we are created in the image of God. All of humanity longs for justice. We long for a ruler who will be fair. A ruler who will be honest in in all their judgments. We long for a judge who will see through the lies, see through the deceit, and, and will make things right for those who have been done wrong. And when we see people getting away with evil It makes us angry. It bothers us. Why is that? Again, because we we long for justice. And this longing is buried deep within the heart of every human being. And this brings us to the main point here of Psalm 9. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. We long for justice in a world that is oftentimes filled with injustice and so let this longing of yours lead you to God. Why? Because he judges the world with righteousness. This reality is at the heart of Psalm 9 here. When David writes in verses 7 and 8, in fact, these are the key verses here in this psalm, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. And so every human ruler is now an imperfect reflection of the sovereign king here that David is writing about. And our longing for justice is simply an echo of our deeper longing for God. This is why Psalm 9 Is so relevant, it is so practical, and speaks so powerfully to our hearts today because God brings himself glory by by ruling and by judging the world with a righteous justice. What's interesting also about Psalm 9, it's actually the very first psalm that is a psalm of praise in the book of Psalms. David begins this psalm by praising God as the sovereign king of the world. And and then he even calls us, all of us, to praise God as well. And so significantly, this first psalm of praise, it, it lifts God's name high because he is a wise judge. He's a fair judge, and he is a just judge. And then David ends this psalm by praying to God as the sovereign king of the world. Even David's prayer, though, is focused on the glory of God in judging the world with justice. So what I want us to do this morning is to dive into this psalm. In fact, this psalm is is two parts. You'll find it divided into two parts, and and it's all about a celebration of God's coming justice. Notice number one, the sovereign judge of the world is worthy of our praise. It is worthy of our praise. Now, we may be in the habit, at least some of us here this morning, of feeling our way into worship instead of worshiping our way into feeling. That is, we may depend upon our feelings to to move us and and to inspire us to praise God. But, But here's the deal. Feelings are often unreliable guides in our lives. Feelings, as you know, are fickle. Feelings are flighty. Feelings are easily shaken and shifty. And this is where the Psalms are especially helpful, and especially this psalm. In fact, the psalms here are dependable guides when our feelings are not. The psalms provide for us very solid ground we need to stand on for worshiping our God. So whether we feel like it or not, Psalm 9 leads us to praise our sovereign king. And David takes the lead here, right off the bat by praising God in verses 1 through 2. Look what he says. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is the heart of David's praise. And so notice this, with all his heart, what does David do here? He resolves himself to praise God for his marvelous works and glorious name. In fact, David's determination here to praise God is rather emphatic in this psalm. It's emphatic in his personal commitment. Four different times David says, I will. I will. I will. I will. Notice it. Look at it in your Bibles there, verses 1 through 2. David says, I will what? Give thanks. He then says, I will recount He says, I will be glad and exalt," And then he ends by saying, I will sing praise. And so he is resolute. He is heartfelt in his praise to the Lord. In other words, David's whole being is involved in praising God. His mind is engaged. He knows what God has done. David says he will recount all of God's wonderful deeds in his praising of God. His praise is sincere as well. He's not just saying what he knows he's supposed to say. He's not just going through the motions, but he really means what he's saying here. David's thanks to the Lord involves his whole heart in his praise. Yes, it is often... And it is also here, especially, very emotional. He breaks out in a song of joy to God's name. Praise is supposed to be joyful. It's happy gladness of exalting in God himself. So David leads us by example. He's urging us to worship our way into feelings rather than simply trying to feel our way into worship. You see, we we learn here from David, as we do from many of the Psalms. We learn how to enter into worship from his own gratitude, from his own gladness, his speaking and his singing. And And yet, at this point in Psalm 9, we have absolutely no idea what is going on in David's life. Something is. One thing is clear, though, he is intentionally looking beyond his life. He's intentionally looking beyond his circumstances, beyond himself, and he is focused on the beauty of God's works. In other words, there is an an intentional spiritual focus off of his circumstances and onto God's glorious deeds. And this, my friend, is the key Worshipping our way into feelings rather than feeling our way into worship. Now, the next verse here, verse 3, actually gives us a hint of what's happening in David's life. It appears that there are some enemies who are oppressing David when he writes at the beginning of verse 3, When my enemies turn back. In fact, If we look ahead to chapter 10, Psalm 10, which we will look at next Sunday. In fact, Psalm 10, many Bible scholars believe Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 are companion psalms. In fact, in some Bibles, they're actually written as one psalm. So these two psalms go together, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10. We will look at Psalm 10 next Sunday. But if you look ahead there, we get a clear sense of this, especially in verses 7 and 11 where David describes his enemies who are oppressing him. Look what he writes. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. And again, he's describing his enemies. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart. That is, the, these enemies of David say in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And so David, here in the beginning of Psalm 10, he sees two disturbing things that, that we here are very familiar with ourselves. First of all, he sees these outrageous acts of a wicked person. I'm sure as you watch the news, as you read your social media, we see this day in and day out, even in our world now. But more than that, David also sees, as we see, he sees a lack of justice, a lack of immediate justice going on these people being oppressed at the hands of these enemies. David sees what is happening all around him, and he sees it as very evil and worse. It seems people are getting away with it. However, David still, he has reason to praise because he knows that God is the sovereign king of the world. This is our reason as well. Even today, this is our reason we can praise God. Notice that, first of all, in your notes, God demonstrates his justice by destroying the wicked and rescuing the righteous. Look how David recounts God's wonderful deeds of justice in verses three and six. And we're now back in Psalm nine, where he writes, when my enemies turn back, They stumble and perish before your presence, God. For you, you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. And so David praises God here for judging the world with justice. And how does God do that? He does it two ways, by by one, destroying the wicked, but also by rescuing the righteous. In fact, in verse 3, this word, when it tells us that David's enemies have not turned back just yet, which indicates that David is looking forward to something specifically to God's deliverance. In verse 4, the verb's forms here are such that David is saying that God's judgment has already happened, but it is waiting for its enforcement. And according to verses 5 and 6, God has destroyed entire nations in the past, causing them to be wiped off the face of the earth and to remember them no more. And now David anticipates this to be done to his enemies. And so in the midst of a a very personal pain of David, he praises God, and he does so in faith. He reflects on what God has done in the past while talking as if the judgment of God is already in motion. You see, his confidence in what God has done in the past, it actually gives David now this hope about his deliverance in the future. David knows that God will. In fact, he is confident that God already is. He is making all things right by judging the world with justice. Now, this is is big time for us. This is significant for us. This is important for us today because we too, we often have to look past our circumstances to praise God in faith ourselves. The reality is God, God may not deliver you today. But if you know that God is on the throne, you can praise him in faith just as David did. If you know God, then you know that he will judge justly. You know that he will rescue you from every trial and trouble in life. Second of all, we learn that God is a stronghold for the oppressed because he will judge the wicked with justice. So despite the chaos on the earth, despite all the evil that we see around us, God still sits on his throne where he is ruling and reigning forever. This is what David alludes to now here in verses 7 and 8. Look at it with me again. Where David writes, but the Lord sits in throne forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And so from his throne, God brings judgment based upon true justice, righteousness, and uprightness. In fact, we learn in Psalm 97, verse 2, where it says righteousness and justice are the very foundation of God's throne. Psalm 9 here, it's interesting, it's it's dominated. I don't know if you caught it when Andy was reading it for us, but this psalm is dominated by the image of God's throne. And that throne is a symbol of God's sovereign rule over the world. But understand, as king, God will judge the world through David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul was preaching in Athens on Mars Hill, he applied this specific verse here in Psalm 9, verse 8, and he applied it in his sermon on Mars Hill. Let me just read it to you in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. This is what Paul says. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge. The world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of course, that man is speaking, it's alluding to Jesus Christ. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So, this means that, that David's hope here in this psalm is a hope of divine justice, and it is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so, God displays his glory in the world by judging the world with justice through his Son. Jesus Christ, And so when we read here now about the majesty of God's judgment in Psalm 9, we are ultimately reading about the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And that reality should impact our lives. As David now explains the effects of this coming judgment by Jesus Christ. In fact, David uses... The metaphor of a fortress, of a stronghold to describe where God's people, that is we here as Christ followers, where we can run to in this world in justice. Notice what he says here in verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So notice David does not say the government is he doesn't say our court system is our stronghold. He doesn't say vigilante justice is our stronghold or other people. No, it is the Lord himself. David also indicates that, that this stronghold is based upon the promise of who God is. In verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you in other words those who know the name of the lord we will place our trust in him you say why because we know we know with confidence that at times of trouble god does not forsake those who seek him so those who may be crushed now in this lifetime those who 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 are experiencing injustice in this world we trust in the Lord and we will find him to be our stronghold. God is the hope of all the oppressed. God cares for everyone who is beaten down. He cares for the oppressed and especially those who know him and call him by name. And so it's no wonder that David now urges us. In fact, he, he's beseeching us. He, he's calling all the people of God to praise the Lord as he is doing himself. And he does this in verses 11 and 12. Look at it. He says, sing praises to the Lord. And notice notice what he says about our Lord here, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. And so this is our call to praise those who trust the Lord. Notice this in your notes those who trust in the Lord should praise him because he has not forgotten us. In fact, it's interesting, this word sing that David uses, it's repeated from verse 1, but now David is calling for for everyone to sing praises to the Lord. And the theme of our praise here is the theme of this psalm, that the sovereign king of the world has not forgotten the cry of the afflicted. In fact, David emphasizes that the Lord remembers specifically the oppressed by holding the perpetrators of injustice accountable. And we know from Genesis chapter 9, verse 5, that that God requires blood. He demands punishment for bloodthirsty oppressors. Why? Because every human life is precious to God. Every human life is made in the image of God, and God demands an accounting for the way that humanity is treated. Therefore, to argue that the judgment of God is somehow obsolete, to argue that the judgment of God is not loving, is to argue against the teaching of God's Word and the very character of God Himself. As one theologian writes, if there is no divine accountability for sin and evil, it is impossible to live out the gospel of Christ. To deny the wrath of God often means that one has not experienced the horrors of war and the tragedy of evil. Jerry Sitzer. You probably have never heard of that name. But Jerry Sitzer is a man, a husband a father who suffered the devastating loss of his wife, his daughter, and his mother in a terrible car crash caused by a drunk driver. This happened in the late 90s. He wrote a book about it. The book is called A Grace Disguise, where he describes his experience of God's grace in the midst of such staggering loss In one part of Jerry's story, he relates to the psalmist's encouragement to trust in the righteous and just judgment of the Lord. Jerry writes, he says, Eight months after the accident, the alleged driver of the other car was tried in federal court on four counts of vehicular manslaughter. I was issued a subpoena to be a witness for the prosecution, which meant that once again I had to face the man whom... I had met on the road shortly after the accident. I dreaded this trip to Boise, Idaho, where the trial was held. I was so nervous I actually got sick. I did not want revenge, but I did want justice so that the man whom I considered responsible for the deaths of four people would pay the just penalty for his wrongdoing. At least then there would be some vindication for the suffering that he had caused. The prosecution was confident of victory. The case seemed so obvious, but the defense attorney argued that no one could actually prove that the accused had been driving the car since both he and his wife had been thrown from the vehicle. So the burden of proof was put on the prosecution. A witness saw the accused get into the driver's seat only 10 minutes before the accident occurred. Other witnesses heard the accused admit after the accident that had been the driver of the car, but the defense attorney was able to cast enough suspicion on the testimony of the witnesses to gain an acquittal for his client. I was enraged after the trial, which in my mind turned out to be as unjust as the accident itself. The driver did not get what he deserved, any more than the victims, whether living or dead, had gotten what they deserved. The travesty of the trial became a symbol for the unfairness of the accident itself. I had to work hard to fight off the the cynicism. I think that I was spared excessive preoccupation with revenge because I believe, listen to what he writes here, God is just. Even though the judicial system is not Ultimately, every human being will have to stand before God, and God will judge every person with wisdom and impartiality. Human systems may fail. God's justice does not. And I also believe that God is merciful in ways that far exceed what, what we could imagine or muster ourselves. It is the tension between God's justice and mercy that makes God so capable of dealing with wrongdoers. God is able to punish people without destroying them and to forgive people without indulging them. This is the promise of Psalm 9. The Lord remembers and the Lord acts according to his just judgment and Every act of judgment is a preview of the final judgment to come, which is cause for even greater praise from his people. And so like Jerry Sitzer, all of us struggle here this morning with feelings of revenge and unforgiveness, and the only way forward is to turn not to our government, not to the court system, not to vigilante justice. It is to turn to our sovereign king. It is to turn to the Lord, who is our refuge and our avenger. Listen, we, we, because of that, we, we can afford to love our enemies. This is why we can actually pray for those who persecute us, as Jesus wrote in the Sermon on the Mount, when we have determined by God's grace to put our lives in the hands of a holy, just, and merciful God who alone sits in throne forever as the sovereign judge of the world. The second section of this psalm is all about David's prayer. The first section is about David's praise. The second section is about his prayer. And so number two, the sovereign king of the world is worthy of our prayer. All of David's praise now turns to prayer. This heartfelt cry for help. David is in a hard place and we will we'll see more of that next Sunday. But David gives us a glimpse into the tension of his soul when he cries out in chapter 10, verse 1, Why, O oh Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you not felt that yourself? Have you not thought that? Have you not asked that yourself? You see, David knows what you know. There are times in life when it feels as if God is far away, as if God is distant from us and he's detached from this evil in the world. And he knows what it's like, David does, to be praising God one minute and then the next crying out for help. And so notice the content of David's prayer. First of all, David prays for God to respond to his affliction. David's prayer, is confident, but not desperate. He prays in verses 13 and 14. Look at it again with me. He says, God, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. This is what every hurting person wants today. They want deliverance. And they want justice. And for David, God's deliverance circles all the way back around to praise. You see, David wants God to rescue him so that he can praise God even more in the gates of the city. In the gates of the city in David's day, that was the public place where people gathered. It was the hub of city life. In other words, David wants to to sing God's praises before all the people of God, and he wants people to know what God has done. Why? So that they themselves will praise God too. And then number two, notice second of all, David prays for God to make himself known by bringing justice. You see, David's perspective shifts again from his own personal request to the fate of the wicked. He looks beyond his own circumstances to the ultimate destiny of those who are opposed to God. He longs to see the wicked, these evildoers, these people who are outside of the community of God. He longs to see them caught in the devices of their wickedness. And so he prays. Look at his prayer. It's audacious here in verses 15 through 18. He says, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. So from this vantage point of ultimate judgment gives David hope. And the hope that he has is that the wicked will get the consequences that they are due. He knows that it is only a matter of time until the wicked are punished. But God, listen to me, God does not save all of his judgment to pour it out at the end end of time when Jesus returns. We know from other scriptures that God is not mocked. And so sin, therefore, carries its own judgment. God, God makes himself known even now within our world through the natural consequences of our sin. And so, yes, while there are moments that David feels like he, ha- he has been forgotten by God, there are situations where he feels that, that there is no hope, but he speaks here with this vertical perspective that this will not be his lot forever in life. As he says in verse 18, "...for the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever." And then David prays, notice this is number three, he prays for God to put the wicked in their place. And so David, he concludes this whole psalm with this crescendo in verses 19 through 20 when he says, arise, O Lord. And that, that phrase, arise, is he's calling on God to, to act, to, to arise and act. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And so this is all about God being victorious over, over proud and wicked people. Therefore, David calls on God for action. He lives in the moment as if the future is already upon him, the moment when God will be seen for who he is and, and man will be shown for who he really is. And David has already reminded us in Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, that God created man, what, a little lower than the angels, yet... In our sinful human nature, what do we do? We we lift ourselves up. We are prone to take the place of God and be our own God to live our own lives and do our own thing. In 1905, Harvard University built Emerson Hall to be a new building for the philosophy department. The design included an inscription on the north side over the main doorway. The Department of Philosophy decided that this inscription should read... Man is the measure of all things. In many ways, this quote summarizes man's rejection of God. Nevertheless, the faculty instructed the architect to carve this quote above the door. However, the president of Harvard at that time quietly decided otherwise. When the professors returned from the summer vacation, they found the building essentially completed and cut into the stone were the words, what is man, that thou are mindful of him. This conflict between the president and the faculty, it actually captures the heart of all of humanity's rebellion against God. The human heart says, it's all about me. There's no one above me. But David calls on God here to, to humble us with his overwhelming power and glory in verse 20, when he says, put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And so here's the question for all of us here today. Do you know that you are just a, quote, man, just a, quote, woman? Or or have you lifted up your eyes to see just yourself? Have you lifted your eyes to see who God, for who he is? You see, David reminds us that God brings himself glory by ruling and judging the world with justice, for he is the sovereign king of the world who sits on his throne forever. Therefore, therefore, in light of these truths, in light of these realities here that David writes about our God, praise the Lord for his marvelous deeds. Praise him for his glorious name. Turn to him as your refuge and avenger, for he does not forsake those who seek him in times of trouble. Now, as we step back from this psalm, what lessons here do we learn? Well, there there are numerous lessons to take away. Numerous lessons for us to go home with here this morning. Let me leave you with one significant lesson from this psalm. One live it out lesson here From Psalm 9, and that's, notice it in your notes. Praising God as the sovereign king of the world leads to trusting God as the sovereign king of the world. So follow the logic here. David has seen God's power in the past. And so he now resolves to praise God with all his heart, for his marvelous deeds and glorious name. His present confidence in God is, in other words, it's rooted in what he has seen God do as the sovereign king of the world. And so David is not so much commanding God to act justly, but rather David is doing something here that's interesting. He's doing something that we all need to do when we go home and we live our lives during the week. He's preaching to his own heart that God will be victorious one day as the sovereign king of the world. In other words, David says, yes, he's calling out to God, arise, O Lord. But what he's really saying by that is trust. I need to trust David. Just trust in the Lord. Why? Because he is the sovereign king who sits on his throne forever. And so do you see how powerful now praise to our God can be? You see, praise leads to trusting God in the present. And So looking back, David sees both the present and future differently, but looking up to God in praise, he gains a heavenly perspective on the world around him. His longing for justice in a world of injustice leads him to do what? To praise God as the sovereign king of the world and then to trust God as the sovereign king of the world. And so praise has somewhat become this soothing balm to his hurting and fearful soul in a world that is unjust. And this same God that David is praising, listen, that God is now inviting us to do the same. He invites us to look and praise at his marvelous deeds, not the least of which is the sacrifice of his own son. And then he invites us to trust in his ultimate deliverance through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And so praising God as the sovereign king of the world, it leads us to trusting God as the sovereign king of the world. And oh, do we need this praise of God and this trusting of God in a world where we see so much injustice going on we need to remind ourselves of the truths in the reality of psalm 9 as david did so that our souls may be bolstered up we do not give in to despair and discouragement but we get up each morning with a renewed vigor that i serve a god who is king and king eternal And his son, Jesus, is coming to rule and to reign and, yes, to judge and to make all things right. The question is, do you know that sovereign king? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your king, as your savior, as your Lord? Have you put your trust in him by confessing your own sins in repentance and by faith receiving him as your own? your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm of David. May it speak to our hearts even now. Lord, thank you for being the sovereign king. Thank you for your just judges. Your justice is glorious, Lord. And we yearn for it, we long for it. And so, Lord, help us to not only praise you, but to trust you in times where it seems like evil is running rampant and people are getting away with evil. Help us to focus on you and praise you and trust you. In your name, amen.
2: Amen. It's good to see the justice of God and to know that it's been executed on the Lord Jesus Christ His wrath poured out on him so that we can offer the gospel to these nations. Did you see the nations in there? We can go to these nations with the good news that though judgment is coming, Jesus Christ has absorbed that wrath. Amen? And so what we want to do at the end of our service here today is to commission the Nisleys. So I'm going to ask them to come up, and as they do, we have some people who are going to lay hands on them. If you'd come up and sit here on the front pew while they come up, and uh, let's just give the Nisley's a hand here as they come up. Look at this beautiful family. And uh, come on out. Yeah, yeah, you can come up here. We want to first just look upon these happy Wonderful kids. Desmond, how old are you these days?
3: 10 and I turn 11 uh, in October.
2: In October, 11 in October. And Amelia, how old are you? I am 8 and I turn
4: 9
2: on March 9th. March 9th? It's going to be 9. Awesome. All right, great. Nikki, how? No, okay. uh, We won't. (laughs) we may, yeah, and when will you? <laughs> we are glad you guys are here. Aren't, aren't they great? And uh, what a privilege to have them. They've been here for six months. And if you have the handouts that are here around the auditorium, uh, they shared our, their first Sunday with us back in January. Can you believe it? And it just flew. Time just flew. And then they were with us at the midpoint. And now here they are on their last Sunday. They will be leaving. Where are you going on Wednesday? No. Back to the Philippines Back to the Philippines. All right, that's right. They're going back. First of all, we just want to say as a congregation, thank you for your faithfulness. All four of you. They are celebrating 12 years on the mission field. Now that's a lifetime in today's missions. We thank you for your faithfulness and that you're going back. And we thank you also, and we thank God for their perseverance. During furlough. So they've been here for six months. And you're thinking, yeah, I'd like to take six months break from my job, too. And it is supposed to be relaxing and refreshing. And we hope it was. And I think aspects were there, maybe. (laughs) but it's also a time of reporting to their supporting churches like ours. Not all churches have the luxury of them living in the same city, and so they've been traveling around, and then they're also recruiting new ones. So if you see the handout, they have gone to 28 churches in 24 weeks, 23 supporting churches like ours saying, hey, here we are, let let me report Thank you for what you're doing. And then five new churches. That's exciting. And have they all taken you on? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. So that's, some, that's what you want to pray for, all right? Pro, maybe pro, any promises? Some yes. pro, promises are made, but we must pray that promises are kept, okay? That's what we are here to do. And they went to 12 states and drove 18,000 miles. Isn't that amazing? And so that's a lot of hard work, and I know Jordan and I, we have prayed and talked. That planning begins way back in the Philippines before they get there. That just doesn't happen overnight. And so we want to tell you, thirdly, we love you guys, and we are thankful to stand with you, and we thank you as a church for your faithful giving to Faith Promise that keeps their ongoing support as well as we're able to buy Nikki an iPad uh, so that she can play video games and watch <laughs> comics and watch movies. Yeah. But And then maybe use it for ministry sometimes. And she teaches art to uh, expatriate and missionary kids. And so that's a vital tool, and we're grateful to have provided that for you. I bet you you're pumped yeah. about that. And then, uh, and we didn't forsake Jordan. We already got him a MacBook Pro a while back. And so we're taking care of them because you are giving to the Lord. We're able to give back to them. Amen? And so most of all, what we want to do is pray for you. And so why don't you guys come down there, stand down there. These guys are going to come up and lay hands on you, and we're going to project our hands onto them from where we sit. And I've asked uh, Zach to come and pray, and then Ashley Davis, and then uh, I will close. And we will be dismissed after that.
4: Bow your heads and join us in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you. This has been reported that uh, the Nisleys have uh, been back for these these months, and that we've been able to um, hear from them and 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 be ministered uh, by them to us, and to minister back to them. And uh, we just thank you for the way that you work. And uh, I want to pray for Jordan this morning, and and some requests that are his requests and family requests, and kind of all of the above, Lord. I, I as they return, one of the they are uh, in the process of purchasing a vehicle, and we uh, pray that you would just uh, be with that process, and and for that to be a uh, a quick and smooth decision as uh, as they return and and needing it for uh, their family and ministry, um, and ask that you would grant that for them. I also pray for their church, uh, Lifehouse Church, as, as Pastor Chris mentioned. As they've been back here, Lord, you've. Uh, they've been working with their elders and with the leadership of their church, even uh, across ocean. And uh, we just pray as they return that you would uh, be with Jordan as he uh, speaks wisdom into uh, the lives of of leadership and as he helps lead and, uh, and and, uh, resumes uh, responsibilities within uh, the church that you would just uh, work in, in his heart and his life for that. And we do pray for, Uh, their family, and their travel on Wednesdays. They have a long layover in Korea and that you would uh, help them to be reacclimated to climate and to time and all the things uh, that go into that. And for Jordan specifically, Lord, I pray for as he returns, he returns to teaching uh, in school and in in the church. And uh, I just pray that you would have your hand upon him and his preparation and his practice for that, Lord. Uh, I also pray that you would be with him as he leads his family, and uh, and he ministers to um, to Nikki and to Desmond and Amelia, and that you would uh, always help him to know that those are so important to him as well as uh, ministering to to other people. And then I pray for his Lord for his personal time with you, that he would uh, be diligent and disciplined, and set aside time to be in your Word, and, and then out of that. Uh, out of that heart uh, flows his ministry to his family and to his church and his school and everything uh, that he is involved with uh, in the Philippines. I thank you for him. and thank you for uh, his partnership with our church, his friendship, and uh, just ask that you would be with him as they go back. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Nikki. Um, we thank you for... Uh, her faithfulness in her marriage and um, working alongside Jordan um, and for her mothering of her children. Lord, thank you for her role as a teacher at this school, that you would give her many, many opportunities to proclaim the truth and to disciple those who know you um, and to uh, share the truth to those who don't. Um, Father, I just ask that you would be with them as they transition um, back to the Philippines, that you'd give them peace in situations that they're facing, um, discipling opportunities in the church, um, just relationship things. All those things can be um, joyful, but they can also be hard and full of lots of work. And so, Father, I ask that you would give them peace um, in you and that they would just trust you. In the process, and that you would give them wisdom um, to know what to say and what to do, um, and for Nikki, that you would just help her to be uh, a wise right hand for her husband, um, that she would honor him, and that she would love him and encourage him in his work, um, that she would love her children faithfully, and that she would just let that example of how we love those around us because you have loved us so faithfully. Um, and we're just so thankful for them, and we commend them to you and um, ask that you would be faithful um, and help them to work um, in this work that you've placed before them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: Father in heaven, we rejoice in your grace toward us as sinners, as we have heard you are a righteous judge. We are humbled as Gentiles to be a part of your covenant promises in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that your son is the Lord of the harvest, and so we thank you for calling out and setting apart Jordan, Nikki, and their children We pray, Lord, that you would call out more, thrust out more, send out more, and you would use our church to do that. Now, O Lord, by your spirit, we commend this family to your grace as they return to the Philippines. Go before them and make a way for them. Pour out your blessings on them and grant them wisdom to face the problems ahead. May they never forget that you are with them, And we as a congregation stand with them. And all God's people said, amen, amen.